Good morning, Gateway Church. We are a growing family after God's heart. Today is part two in our series in the month of February that we're calling C3.1 Update. All right? Three C's. And they stand for collaborating, which means working together, right? For a culture or an atmosphere of connection. We want to be a connecting family. Healthy families are well-connected families. And so our desire is that if you would call Gateway Church your church home, that you would be a part of this family, that you would connect with one another, that there would be significant friendships that are formed. There's various ministries here. We have a number of life groups that meet throughout the week, got some classes, ministries, and the idea of those ministries is so that we connect together as a family. And that's the way that healthy families operate, right? There's this connection that takes place. So last year we called it C3. This year we added the dot, point one, update. So this is not an upgrade, all right? We're not dismantling anything and starting over. This is not a makeover. It's an update, point one. It's the same vision, updated. It's like we got this this app last year, and we're updating the who question these first two Sundays. The how and where will come in weeks three and four, but who are we? as a family. There's five characteristics that we're seeking to grow in. The banners are are right behind me. What are the five characteristics of a healthy family? Love. We love how? Unconditionally. I got this goofy image in my head a few weeks ago, right? Praying. How How can we package this in such a way now you, this is kind of crude up there. I'm not going to keep it up there very long, all right? But this was my attempt. It's a wheel, old wagon wheel. It's like, how can, what can we do? It's not an upgrade, it's an update. We love unconditionally. Now, the order up there is not right. The order behind me is right, all right? It's just writing things down. The second characteristic of a healthy family is we... Forgive, how? Graciously. We speak truthfully. We care compassionately. We encourage intentionally. And this is the modern way to remember who we are. We'll talk about the tire and the tread and the, the work of the Father. That's weeks three and four, but it's an easy way to remember a little bit of who we are as a local family. So I was thinking about this app idea, this word picture, and you're going to find this hard to believe. But a couple of years ago, I had an idea for an app. You're going, right, sure you did. I did. I never did anything with it because I didn't, I don't really know how to do that. It's like, how would you 
kind of work with somebody and give them idea for this app. But I had this idea for an app. I like to ride a motorcycle. And, and uh, we had this, this day all picked out. And in Minnesota, you have like two months of good weather, right? That, that's about it. And so on this day, it was rainy. It was cold. We had to cancel the trip. And I got this idea on a rainy day when I wanted to be out on my motorcycle riding around. It was like an app for a discouraged motorcycle wannabe rider. Now, there's obviously got to be a, a, a better name for that. But here's the idea of the app. And I might, I might buy it if I saw it. And here's the idea. Don't go on your phones now, right? Pro, somebody probably already has this idea. Such a great idea. I'm sure somebody already has it. And I didn't even go look, all right? It's a rainy day. You can't go. You have your smartphone. You need to be encouraged. What happens? You connect this app with the weather. And when it's 100% raining, guess what happens? You have this encouraging scene come up right on the front of your phone, the screen there. And it's one of the 50 most awesome roads in all 50 states of, of the United States of America, South Dakota, the most scenic road in Minnesota, Wisconsin, Illinois, Iowa. There's even one in Iowa. There'd be 50 of them. <laughs> and it would, it would pop up, and you'd hear the rumble of the Harley-Davidson going through the gears, and then you would see the scene, one of those 50 roads for 20 to 30 seconds. You know, I'm looking, you're going... You're looking at me like this is a bad idea. Give me the bobblehead look, all right? Up and down, not sideways, up and down. This is a great idea. You're going to steal this idea. <laughs> and then you'd get, at, you'd get updates. Every year, you'd, you'd have a different set of roads. Jesus went on a number of road trips. If I... If I could go on a road trip or if I had a, a choice to go on a road trip on a motorcycle, I told you this before, I'd go to, I'd go to the Grand Canyon. And here, here's, here's, here's how we would do it. No GPS allowed, all right? I mean, you can carry your phone, but you can't plan out where you're going to go on what date and where you're going to stay, none of that. You would just head down south and go west. Right? That's where it's at. Correct? I mean, at the end of the day, you can find out where you're at so you're not in Tennessee. <laughs> but then you'd have to put the phone away, and then you would just make your way. You don't know when you're going to get there. You don't know exactly when you're going to get back. Isn't that the ideal trip? You don't know where you're staying. Jesus went on these road trips. And his disciples were following him, and they didn't always know where they were going and where they were going to stay at night. Jesus was, the disciples figured this out pretty early in the relationship. Jesus was predictably unpredictable. 
predictably unpredictable. He was constantly, I don't know if this really works that well, but it's in my mind, so all illustrations break down at some point, but he was, he was constantly getting updates from his father on where to go. The disciples thought Jesus said this would be the best place to stay, and he would say what? Let's go. When they wanted to go, he would say, stay. I mean, they were getting tired of all these people, thousands of people. They wanted to go. Jesus said, you feed them, we're staying. So we pick up on one of his road trips in John chapter 4. He and his disciples were en route back to Galilee, going north, all right, back to his home territory, And we're looking at John. We're spending four weeks in John. And so we're going to read this story a couple of times, a number of times. I want you to read John chapter 4 in your devotions in the weeks to come. Because all of these characteristics behind me, right here behind me in the wheel, all of them we see in Christ. Perfectly. In this one story. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees, verse 1, had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not John who baptized, but his disciples. It was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea in the south, went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. I want you to underline that verse in your mind when you get home in your Bible and your your phone put the you know the color on there now he had to go through Samaria so he came to a sound a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph Jacob's well was there and Jesus tired as he was from the journey sat down by the well it was about noon. The reason why Jesus left Judea and headed toward Galilee was to avoid needless conflict, it says, with the Pharisees who were closely keeping tabs on the ministries of both John the Baptist and Jesus. Jesus was never one to avoid conflict if it was the Father's will. And that's the key in all of this. It's the key in what Jesus did what he said, where he would go. It was always, what's the Father's will? What's the Father's purpose? He wasn't afraid of the Pharisees. He didn't didn't run from the Pharisees. I mean, we know that he took the Pharisees head on, but he only did it if that's what the Father called him to do. But now was not the time, nor nor was it the place. So he hightails it north to get away from the Pharisees. He left. The Greek word in verse 3 means abandoned. He abandoned Judea in the south, headed north toward Galilee until he knew that it was the hour for the cross. He would come back again. He would face the Pharisees. 
The route he took was the shortest from Galilee or from where he was at in the Judean wilderness to Galilee. So here's just a little map. I thought this would be nice for, for you to see it in your mind's eye. Where's Jesus? He's, he's right about in this area here. Okay? We know that he's near the Jordan River. And where's he going? He's going all the way up here to Galilee. How's he going to get there? Well, the, the most direct route from where he was was to go over the Jordan River on the east and then work his way up the Jordan River and then back across the Jordan River and go to Galilee. Or you could go to the west all the way around and there's this, there's this highway kind of deal right here. And you could go that way. Or you could go right up the middle. That was the, short, the shortest, most direct route. But there was a problem. As you can see, what's right in the middle? Samaria. And the scriptures make it clear that the Jewish people and the Samaritans were at odds. Talk about racism and prejudice. It was all right here. Most of the time, what the Jews did is they would go, no, that's my fault. They would go east right here. I got to learn how to run this better, right? I don't, you know, I just don't want to blind anybody with this. He went right up the middle. The verse says that he had to go. He had to go through Samaria. Who said that? He's the son of God. Doesn't Jesus set his own agenda? No, he didn't. Jesus only did what his father told him to do. Jesus obeys. He takes the more direct route through Samaria. He goes to Sakar, which was located about 30 miles north of where he was at, right here. So probably it was 40 miles that he walked, he and his disciples. It says he got there at noon. So he and his disciples were en route for over a day and a half. Can you believe that? They didn't have camels. I mean, they had camels, but they, they weren't riding camels. They were walking. That was their mode of transportation. 30 to 40 miles. He's tired. He gets to the well at about noon. Verse 7 reads, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I'm, I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. What did Jesus do? He interacted with her. That's what love does. Love goes out of the way. The disciples wouldn't have talked to her. They wouldn't have even gone through Samaria. They would have gone around Samaria. 
But he interacts with this woman. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is giving you this water, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as also did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to come here to draw water, keep coming. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, spoke truthfully, but compassionately with love. That's where he started, with love. As you read the story, he offers forgiveness. She comes to him and believes that he's the Messiah, the Messiah who would take away the sins of the world, her sins. She believes as a result of of her witness, she goes back and tells her family and the Samaritans, many Samaritans in the story you will read come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. But it all starts with love. He loves her, he speaks to her, he interacts with her. He doesn't start off with the truth about her condition that she's had five failed marriages in her relationships and the man that she's living with right now is not even her husband. He doesn't, he doesn't start there. He loves her first. He interacts with her. He talks to her kindly. There's something about this man who's different than all the other men. She can't even believe that he's entertaining a conversation. A Samaritan, a Samaritan woman, she's drawing water at what time? Noon, high noon. It's the hottest part of the day. The women who would draw water from the well would come early in the morning or late at night. I think the reason why she came at that time was because of shame. She was ashamed. So she tries to come when maybe there isn't going to be very many people. And then she sees this Jewish man look just like any ordinary man in terms of there wasn't, there wasn't like this glow about him. This Jesus who we see in pictures, I mean, 40 miles of walking, up and down, dust, dirt. He's hot, he's tired. He's probably sweat from his brow. His hair is probably greasy. It's like, oh, great. Well, he won't talk to me as a Jewish man. What does love do? 
It's one thing that I want you to take home with you today, and that's this. Love goes out of the way. Fact is, you've had five husbands, verse 18, and the man you now have is not your husband, speaks truthfully. What you have said is quite true, sir, the woman said. I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is down further south in Jerusalem. Remember the map? Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews, but not only for the Jews. Jesus in other places says, go first to the Jews. Spread the gospel there. But it wasn't supposed to be only for them. It was to spread out from them. To who? To all the nations of the earth. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. Now she's interacting with Jesus. She's talking to this Jewish man. He's not judging her. He's telling her the truth. When he comes... He will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I the one speaking to you. I am he. Love goes out of the way. Isn't that what Jesus taught us by his actions and his words? The first step we have in any relationship that we have with people is to love them unconditionally, right? Too often we place conditions on our relationships. There's strings attached to them. But that's not how Jesus taught us to love. He didn't say... Stop with love and never speak truth. No, the banner's right here. It's in the story. But it starts with love. You can't do any of this stuff correctly with the right heart without first what? Love. Everything else will be a facade. It'll be put on. Or it'll be harsh. The word says he had to go. The disciples wouldn't go that direction. They would go around Samaria. We know that, by the way, they came back and they, they were surprised when Jesus was talking to this woman. They went to get food. He comes, they come back. He's talking to the Samaritan woman. They're scratching their head going, why is he doing that? 
Love goes through Samaria, right up the middle. Love goes out of the way to interact. It's all in the story. To listen. To ask questions. To care. To tell the truth in non-judgmental ways. Listen. If convenience in your life is the goal, you won't love well. Let me say that again, because it's so true. If convenience is the goal in your life, you won't love well. At some point, showing true love, it will be inconvenient. It will be an inconvenience, won't it? If I'm rarely being inconvenienced, I'm probably not loving like Jesus loved, right? Let that be something that rolls around in your head this week when you are inconvenienced in some way. Let the Holy Spirit just touch your heart, your mind, that just maybe this is a divine appointment for you to love well. Love makes a choice to go through the interior, right up the middle. The religious people, they went left, west, I won't defile myself. They were self-righteous. The routine walkers, that's what I call them, went right. They went east. I don't want to be bothered. They were self-righteous. They both went around Samaria. But Jesus goes right up the middle because he hears the Father's voice. He has his Father's heart of love. He loved this woman, and he loved the Samaritans, And he loves all the peoples of the earth. And he will use his church to love them. That's you and me. We're going to close with a video. And we have four stories in the series 3.1 update. Each one in February. We're calling it Gateway Stories. The purpose is to inspire us to grow in these five characteristics. Last week, we we saw just a great video with Jake and Julie Will, and they're they're here today, and uh, that was just a a wonderful story. Today, we're going to hear a little bit of Gero and Sharon Bazant's story, and as you do... Just let the Holy Spirit encourage your heart. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you about these characteristics and how we can grow in them.
Well, starting about a year and a half ago, our family started going through a really, really difficult time and was going through an experience that we did not think we'd have to deal with. And I was struggling with some deep, deep depression, some really deep um, PTSD type stuff from some major trauma that had never been dealt with. And in the middle of all that, you know, we, we had thought we'll handle this on our own. That was kind of the way that Garrow and I had thought about this to start with as we started going through all this difficulty. And partly we thought that because it was an idea that we didn't want to burden other people with it. And it was just too much to share. Um, it was too deep, too private, you know, too painful. And that was our first thought for the first four or five months of going through this. And then at some point, that wasn't possible anymore. We could not do it on our own at all. And so our first step in really digging in and dealing with it was um, talking with a couple of key people at Gateway, along with some other family members that we trusted. And that was kind of our first experience with opening up that much to people that could have you know, judged us or misunderstood us. But all we received from them was really deep understanding and deep compassion. One of the things that was the most helpful was also as we started opening up, hearing other people's stories where they were willing to share and be vulnerable. There are lots of people that are hurting out there. And it's not just you. There are other people that have experiences similar to what you're going through or worse or doesn't matter. Um, yeah. Is a huge step towards towards healing and towards uh, um, letting people in and letting that help in from outside. The way God designed it, right? that we're a community, and um, that was really an um, important moment for us when we realized that. Yeah. Yep. And. Right, that idea that we aren't alone and we were fooling ourselves when we thought that it was better to try to handle it alone. And it was also wrong that we would burden other people by sharing that. We really, it was the opposite. I mean, they were, as you know, they told us, and I just, I know that it's true, that they were, you know, glad, blessed, whatever that word, to be able to share that burden with us and specifically told us, we are here to help you through. We want to do anything we can. And that was, I just look back at that and I can't believe that people would be willing to share in that kind of pain. It was around that time when we had thought we had hit, you know, the bottom of the pit, that things got even worse. And then the family, the Gateway family, really stepped in even more during that time. And uh, we actually lost a baby through just tragic, tragic circumstances. And it was again that God had given us this baby in the middle of all of this, and it felt like such a miracle. And then he took this baby away. And that just threw me personally, I know Garrow struggled, but for sure me into just a tailspin of thinking, why this pain on top of all the other pain that we've had to struggle through this year? And there still aren't any answers, but that deep compassion of people coming alongside and sharing their own stories and understanding that pain of that loss and even just saying, 
there are no answers. It's okay to just mourn and question. So when I look back on all that year and I think, where was God? God is in the people that have come around us. He's in our Gateway family, our church family, um, in our pastor and his wife who just gave up their time and, and loved us, and in other friends who were there at a moment's notice to help us and to take care of our children when we couldn't and, and to bring food and just listen on the phone and encourage and little you know conversations in the lobby where we have our lobby church after church and the friends that have said, I want you to know I've been praying for you this week. Other moms that have gone through pregnancy loss and... They really yeah. stepped in to catch mm-hmm. us. There were many times when we were feeling like we were falling and they came in and really caught us, right? Yeah. Amen. It's not a great story. I love that story. I'm going to have all of us stand. Will you stand with me? I'm going to close. So what's in my heart to, to close that as a church, as a family, we are the body of Christ. We are his family. And we're to exhibit these qualities behind me in such a way that the world would take notice. And the thought that I, that I had was, who wouldn't want to be a part of a family like that? I mean, I would. The world shouldn't even come close to the church in these areas here. We should be leading the way. We are his body. We have a spirit to help us. We have the word to guide us and direct us. We should do this better than anyone else. So what's your next move? Knowing what you know about Jesus and his story, this story and the scriptures and the story we just witnessed, what will you do as a result? When inconvenienced this week, don't automatically get annoyed. Ask yourself a question. Could this be a divine appointment? Do, the, do something out of the ordinary. We usually got our routes all picked out, right? Our roads mapped out and our routines down. Take a different route this week. We're so rushed. We fly by so many opportunities to be Jesus' hands, his feet, his mouth, his heart. Take a different route. Do something out of the ordinary. And I believe we're all going to end up in Samaria somewhere and there's going to be divine appointments and God's going to use us in some pretty awesome ways. And so Lord, we just simply say thank you for coming to us, Lord, in the Samaria of our own lives, God. Lord, you didn't bypass me. You didn't go around because you had 
other people, more important things to do. Lord, you came, you came to me. The time of my need. And everybody here that knows you, Jesus, can say the same thing. They can, they can say, thank you, Jesus. You have the heart of the Father. So, Lord, we look forward to this week. May not be an easy week, probably be inconvenienced. But, Lord, we want to love well because that's how you loved us. So, Spirit, have your way now. In Jesus' name, amen.